Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey towards senior leadership in the charitable world. Thanks for listening. If you are a current nonprofit leader or you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with my colleague Cindy Clark, who brings nearly four decades of leadership experience in the nonprofit sector and has worked for and with nearly every subsector, especially healthcare and education. You know, but what makes her experience so relevant to this episode is that she has managed and consulted literally dozens of capital campaigns, and she has seen and experienced the best and the worst of these fundraising efforts. Now, there is a lot of pent-up campaign demand right now, and I think you might be feeling it too, and you may be wondering is this really the time to launch that campaign, despite the pressure of your board, your staff, your funders, the competition? All of these elements may put a campaign pressure on you, but Cindy and I are going to help you understand if, indeed, you're really ready. We explore five keys that will help you evaluate your organization's campaign readiness. Lots of wisdom to unpack in this episode, so make sure you check out the show notes. This is episode number 116. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources Cindy and I discuss, as well as more information on Cindy and the work she's doing through PMA Consulting. Speaking of resources, go to our website and connect with us. All of the social media platforms, particularly LinkedIn, we are active You can connect with us there. And make sure you get on our email list. You can go to the bottom of the homepage. In fact, you'll see a link that says free resources. You won't miss anything, including free episodes of the podcast like this one. Also at the bottom of the homepage, connect with us. You can schedule a free 15-minute call. We can learn more about you and your nonprofit organization. Maybe we can help you with some strategic planning, board engagement, where I'd be happy to talk to you about your nonprofit leadership journey and how we might be able to help through our coaching, our training, or maybe one of our unique mastermind programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Cindy Clark. Cindy, thank you for joining me on the path. Patton, thank you for inviting me. I look forward to having this conversation with you. Well, I'm excited as well. You and I have had many conversations about all topics related to nonprofit leadership. And of course, you've worked with dozens of organizations directly and indirectly helping them in all kinds of ways. But you've certainly had experience in the field of kind of campaign management, capital campaign planning. And Cindy, there are a lot of folks thinking about it right now. You know, coming out of the pandemic, you and I know that there is talk of many, many campaigns in the kind of region in which we live, but I bet it's true across the country and even around the world. Um, So before we get into that, because you and I are going to unpack, should a nonprofit leader consider a capital campaign under the current circumstances? You know, what questions should they ask 
Um, let's talk about you first, <laughs> given all the many experiences you've had in nonprofit leadership. Cindy, is there anything you're particularly proud of in the work you've done? You know, Patton, proud might not be be the best word, but I have been been blessed throughout my career, really, to work with organizations with missions that are important to me. And it's true both in my career as a fundraising professional for the organizations that I work for, but also over the last seven years that I've worked as a consultant with PMA. As, as you know, as consultants, we have the opportunity to be a part of important work that nonprofits in this community are doing in virtually every sector. And it's just rewarding to know that the work that we're doing is making a difference. So well put. And you have indeed made a difference in many organizations, as well as the individual leaders with which you've worked. And it makes you particularly suited, I think, for this conversation, because as we said in the outset, there's a lot of, in some cases, I wonder if there's pressure uh, as nonprofit leaders here that a lot of campaigns are brewing in their communities. They feel like there maybe is a legitimate pent up demand. Um, they feel like the market's done well. So perhaps some of their big donors are in a position to make a gift and maybe they don't want to miss out, you know, and lose to the competition, so to speak. So despite that, I think there are still five key areas that you and I agree nonprofit leaders ought to consider. The first, Cindy, you point out is that the individuals, the leader and their, his or her team need to be ready, I guess, mentally and physically and emotionally. But maybe you could speak to that, you know, that first characteristic. If I'm a nonprofit leader thinking about a campaign, maybe first I should self-assess. Absolutely, Patton, and I, I know you're absolutely correct that many campaigns were put on hold as we went into our lockdown mode of a year plus ago, and now many nonprofits are exploring the possibility of jumping back into a capital campaign, and many are already making those first steps, but even for those that are not quite ready yet, but there are certainly are things that can and should be done as they prepare to launch a capital campaign. I think that leaders uh, of nonprofit organizations, as well as their boards, frequently underestimate the volume of work and activity that comes with a capital campaign. I think you would agree with me. I think most organizations have a, a development team that's already operating at a high level, level, as is the CEO and our executive director of those organizations. So it's important to identify in advance how can they expand their capacity to manage new campaign activity, especially at the top levels. Such a good point. And you're right, coming out of the pandemic, there may be that pent up energy that suggests we can take on more, but I just would be careful. You and I both have seen organizations that frankly burned fully out because that initial energy didn't translate for long enough to have a successful campaign. And, right. and I do think the the pandemic, you know, Cindy took its toll on a lot of nonprofit leaders. And I guess that's the cautionary note we're both suggesting. 
Right. Yes. You know, burnout is already something that many leaders are already dealing with and uh, adding the additional activity of a capital campaign on top of that is something that needs to be thought about well in advance uh, to look at, you know, key leaders in particular. Are there activities or projects that could be delegated to another staff member? They, I know, don't always have that luxury, but, but some do. And then are there things that could be delayed until after the campaign? Good point. Uh, will temporary staff be needed to uh, and need to be included in the campaign budget? Are there some things that could be contracted out? Uh, things like grant writing or event management, you know, can sometimes be handled on a contract basis temporarily, at least, or even long term. But, uh, you know, can you engage more volunteer support? So all of those things, if they can be looked at and evaluated in advance, will make for a smoother transition to campaign mode, which, you know, as we said, we know brings a, lots of additional additional. Uh, both work and pressure to perform. I'm glad you left that up, Cindy, that it's kind of looking around the team, not just looking in the mirror, which I think is part of it. You know, are you as a leader ready uh, for the the endurance, the marathon that a campaign might require? Is your team ready emotionally um, and given what's already on their plate? But I like the fact that you're assessing, you know, you're suggesting almost an assessment of all the existing functions because some of them maybe could be outsourced. And yes, maybe then a campaign is more feasible. But I am concerned for a nonprofit leader who comes to me and basically says, you know, I just have the energy to pull this off. And I think those are the ones that sometimes fall short. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Patton. You talk about, you know, the organizational skills required for nonprofit leaders, um, you know, that they're juggling a lot. They have to be efficient in their activity. Have you, Cindy, personally found certain tips or tricks, you know, as you manage multiple client organizations or when you were working, manage a campaign? How did you stay organized? Patton, I'm probably the, the, not the best person to answer that. <laughs> I've never been the, the best person at uh, managing work-life work boundaries, but uh, I am a believer in list and always have multiple lists going. And I know that's an old-fashioned way of managing things, but you know, I've always said I can manage the workload as long as I know what it is that I haven't done. But lists do work for me, and I, I have multiple lists going at, at uh, all times. And, you know, with different clients that we work with, I have usually a list for each one of them. But, uh, you know, for me, I review those lists usually every night, and it helps me identify and prioritize for the next day what has to happen tomorrow, what needs to happen tomorrow, but the world wouldn't end if it delayed until the next day and then you know what are some things that can be you know delayed a little bit longer so just to to prioritize it and have a feel like I have a handle on all the things that that need to happen in the you know in the relatively near future 
I also patent learned over the years to block time on my calendar, not just for meetings, but work time for yes. things such as phone calls uh, to work on a project for planning um, for a report that has to be done. It's okay to block that time on your calendar so that it doesn't get sucked into meetings that may be important, but that also might be able to be to be delayed uh, a few days or even a few weeks. So blocking time to do the things that are important for you is, is something that I think helps all of us manage our time better and that we don't get to the end of the day and realize we haven't done the one or two things that really needed to happen that day because we didn't have time blocked for it. Also, one thing I've tried to do, Patton, and still do, is when I can handle a request that comes across my desk by taking a few minutes right then and just dealing with it, rather than putting it into my to-do file, right. it's a big time saver for me. If you can handle it once rather than having to go back to it when you have you know, many other things that are also on that, that to-do list, that it's a, a big time saver for me. If you can just spend a couple minutes and deal with it the first time, then it's a time saver, I think, overall. Plus, you're just more productive to just deal with it and then move ahead. So I try to do that to the extent that I can. If it's only going to take me a few minutes to handle it, then then let's do it and then move on to the next thing. And then I don't have to deal with it again later. So. Great advice. Knock it out while you can when you exactly. have that time. Love the time blocking. I love the nightly or daily ritual. And of course, I'm always one to say it doesn't matter what method you have for prioritizing, keeping track, just have one. And if lists work as they have for you over the years, then by all means, use them. Yes. Um, but glad to reinforce that because that also is is consistent with our first key. You know, the five keys you and I are talking about now as you evaluate your campaign readiness, the first one is your own capacity. Are you ready? And are you willing to kind of make an honest appraisal of that and your team's capacity? Because you and I both have seen the toll it will take if if we go with good intentions, but we're not successful because we burn out. Uh, let's talk about the second one. The second key you and I have discussed, um, if you're determining campaign readiness, you need to sharpen the vision and really have a clear strategic plan. But talk about that, Cindy. What do you, what do you um, think that means and how do we uh, translate that into campaign readiness? Well, I believe, Patton, that successful campaigns have to be based on a strong, comprehensive strategic plan for the organization, a plan that has the support of both the organization's leadership and its board of directors and agreement on the priorities and the timelines. And then, of course, the plan, the uh, capital campaign helps to secure the resources that are needed to uh, implement that strategic plan and to, uh, you know, determines the scope of the campaign, including the goals. So it starts with a, uh, a strong comprehensive strategic plan and obviously mission and vision taking a look at those again is a part of that planning process. Uh, obviously input from key donors and other stakeholders 
is critical, both the board and other stakeholders. stakeholders. I know that uh, some organizations are hesitant to invest in planning studies, but I think a planning study or a feasibility study is key to uh, planning for a capital campaign, preparing for a capital campaign. And, you know, those are done usually by outside counsel. You and I have done lots of those together and uh, for many of the organizations in our community. And, and I, my belief in those, the importance of those studies is based both on my work with PMA, where we work are working with clients that are doing campaigns, preparing for campaigns, but also my personal experience leading campaigns for organizations that I worked with prior to joining PMA is never entered into a major capital campaign without doing a feasibility study or a planning study in, in advance of the campaign. And I, I think obviously that you uh, and I share that. Uh, totally. And in fact, you know, you, you raise a great point here in terms of an organization having that consistent strategic vision. And I, I noted the three distinct kind of uh, constituencies you mentioned, uh, the staff, the board, your key donors. And I would say the risk of an unsuccessful campaign is when only one or two of those three come forward. Sometimes it's the uh, the high volume board member or board members that say we need to do a campaign, or maybe it's staff, but not necessarily all three. And I think, I guess that's the way I would also look at it. You You listed the three a study would determine if there's kind of a consistent uh, agreement as to whether to go forward. Absolutely. And I think, you know, often we, when we think of a feasibility study or when boards think of a feasibility study, they're thinking that you're testing just the goal. But uh, I believe that, uh, that there are lots of, uh, there are other benefits. In fact, uh, I know you like West Patton and there, <laughs> there are, are uh, I'll say four things that uh, come out of a feasibility study when when it's done properly. And the first one of those is that you assess the organization's image and perception in the community. Good point. Uh, do your donors, potential donors, believe you're providing essential services in the community? Uh, are the percep perceptions in the community accurate? And if, if they aren't, then it's certainly better to know that so that you can ad address them in advance and in the case for support for the capital campaign. So I think you kind of start with uh, how is this organization perceived in the community and what's its image and to make sure that those are what you think they are, what they need to be in order to have a successful campaign. And then uh, you also have the chance to val validate the campaign objectives. Are stakeholders supportive of your plan? Do the donors who have the capacity to make your campaign successful value what it is that uh, the campaign proposes to do? It's important to know in advance if the support's not there. Exactly. Again, you can make the changes that, that need to be made in advance rather than as you're halfway through the campaign and you realize that uh, it's not working. You want to know that in advance for sure. 
I'm so then, glad you mentioned that because I, and sorry to interrupt you, but I was just saying that I want to underscore your point that the, the term feasibility study maybe suggests to people that it is just kind of a dollar question. And, but I, I like your point in that there may well be the capacity of these donors to make your campaign successful, but if they don't like what you're doing or they don't agree with the direction you're going as an organization, they're not going to give you the money. And that is in fact, part of why you're asking these kind of study questions. Exactly. And then, you know, it obviously, the study does obviously help you determine if the goals, goals are feasible and also help you identify potential donors. Uh, we don't, as you know, ask for gifts when we're doing a feasibility study, but the individual's prospective donors will often share with you their thoughts on their gift. They'll sometimes just say, this is what I'm planning to give to the campaign. We know that campaign success almost always depends on a few leadership gifts. So being able to have those conversations early with, uh, with prospects is, is critical. And to include them in the planning process is very important. They wanna be, they wanna have input. And then you have the, the time and the ability to focus on cultivating them and developing a meaningful relationship to them early in the campaign process. Great so point. it does help with uh, identifying uh, your large, the prospects for large gifts and also getting a handle on what those, the size of those gifts are going to be. And, you know, can we raise the dollars that are going to be necessary to, uh, to carry out the objectives that we have. Great point. And again, uh, I will underscore this kind of strategic, which is our second key, this consistency, uh, the sharpening of this vision. These conversations have such value beyond just what the person's capacity is or the family's capacity or whatever, but it helps inform the questions they might have, which will help you be more effective as you move forward. Right. Then I would say the fourth thing, patent benefit that we get from feasibility studies is to identify potential campaign leadership. Uh, ideally, the campaign leadership will come from board members and other non-stakeholders, but uh, it's it, these these interviews that you do as a part of a feasibility study allows you to have those conversations with prospective donors and simply to say, would ask, would you be willing to take a leadership role and suggestions for other who would be good leaders for the campaign. So it uh, also is a great way to identify potential leadership. Uh, you know, Donors want to have input into developing the plan. So I think the planning process is, is a very important part of preparing for a capital campaign. Yep. Love that. And you're right. Successful campaigns often, maybe not always, but often have that strong volunteer leadership. And so getting your plan in order um, is going to likely incorporate, have conversations with folks, hopefully that will emerge. And I guess, Cindy, this kind of is a good segue to the third key in terms of these kinds of conversations, uh, in essence, are practice for making the case. 
And I wonder if you could speak to that. And, and so if I'm trying to determine if I'm ready for a campaign, I've got to be able to make the case effectively. Absolutely. And I think the the case for support is your the organization's opportunity to lift up their mission and vision and to inspire donor support uh, to show why you're important to the community, what's distinctive about the work that you do. And you know, I'll say too that the focus needs to be on what the community needs and how the organization can meet those needs as opposed to on focusing on just the organization. But how can your organization meet a need in the community? And the more you can document those needs with research and statistics, the better. Uh, you know, for example, a service organization can show unmet need, demonstrate, document unmet need. How many people are they turning away each day? Or how long do uh, clients have to wait for services? On the other hand, you can show, hopefully with numbers, the impact, the positive impact that you're making in the community. You know, organizations that serve children can show, demonstrate uh, increased graduation rates. Uh, organizations that serve veterans or the homeless can show how they're providing homes, jobs, healthcare, whatever, for their clients. But just an opportunity to show how your organization is meeting the needs of the community and how the campaign will help them better serve the community and expand their impact on the community. You know, most capital campaigns, by, as, as the name implies, involve a building, but it's not about the building. It's about uh, what a new building will enable the organization to do, what community need will the building address and how will it impact, improve the quality of programming that you're able to offer. So glad you made that point because I think a lot of organizations, you're right, focus on the shiny new building. And the fact is, every organization in town wants a shiny new building. And if your campaign is perceived as only that, I think that is a fast track to not succeeding. But as you put it, it's not the building. It's what that building will accomplish. And you're right. And you're smart as a nonprofit leader to keep track of that community need. And therefore, you can make the case more effectively. Absolutely. And Patton, also just, you know, another point and along that same line is that the the ask and the case for support, the appeal to individual donors differs from donor to donor. Not every donor uh, will be interested in supporting the same part of your campaign. Typically, capital campaigns do include some type of a building often some type of program support or and or endowment support. Some donors want to give to buildings. That's the thing that's most important to them. Naming opportunities are important to them. And others want to give just to program support. And uh, others want to give to endowment to ensure the future of the organization. So I think making the case is also an exercise 
in the importance of relationship management. Again, going back to the planning study, if you've done your job right in preparing for the capital campaign, you know in advance what that donor is interested in so that when you go back to talk about the campaign, you can ask them for their support in areas that you know are the most important to them. So it is a, a process that, uh, this, that has steps, as we talked about, that you need to work through the process and for success. Yeah, absolutely right. And I'm glad you made that point that uh, one size does not fit all in making the case. There's, of course, the overarching vision that you have hopefully sharpened if you are ready for a campaign. But you also have to be sensitive to the different donors and prospects in your community. What they will best react to and the kind of finesse that requires to uh, create conversation and ultimately the relationship building. You know, that's a, a good point, I think, to go to our fourth key and where a lot of organizations, I think, may run into the burnout we talked about in the very first key is having adequate infrastructure. And so, Cindy, what are the kind of key elements to infrastructure that you look for for a successful campaign to start? I think we, we've already addressed, Patton, what I think is the, the first one and probably the most important is staffing. Uh, can the staff, current staff manage a capital campaign? And if not, what additions, changes need to be made to allow them to be able to lead a campaign from from or, from the organization's perspective, and you know also, uh, are there ways to engage more volunteers to take some of the things off of the current staff as well? So staffing being one of the uh, one of the most important from an infrastructure standpoint, but also just from internal readiness, uh, what is your how does your CRM program look? Do you have a program that can manage the additional activity from a capital campaign? Also, the staff to to make that happen. But can you do? Do you have research on your prospects? Do you have the capacity to do research on your prospects and then track that information and be able to provide it to your campaign leaders who will need to have donor profiles to start making the campaign calls? So readiness from a both a computer and a staffing uh, perspective, as well as processes and procedures. Do you have those things in place that you'll need for a capital campaign? Can you track multi-year pledges and generate reminders? You've never done a capital campaign. You've never probably had to deal with multi-year pledges. Do you have the capacity to do that? Can you generate timely acknowledgments? Uh, I'm a believer in uh, turning those acknowledgments around as quickly as possible, certainly within 48 hours and even sooner if possible for the large gifts. And, you know, those written acknowledgments are important, but the, the, uh, the, the, face-to-face -face or telephone calls to thank donors are very important as well and those need to happen on a timely basis. Can you your your software system generate the campaign reports that your campaign leadership will need? 
Do you have a gift acceptance policy in place? Do you have a naming gift policy in place? And I know you and I have talked about this on a number of occasions, but it's much easier to say no to a donor if they've offered you a potential gift that the organization just isn't prepared to manage, it's much easier to say no to them if you have a policy in place and you can say that rather than it being just personal with not wanting their gift. And, uh, you know, land is obviously one that often is, is difficult for some organizations to manage. And do they have the capacity to do that or is it going to be a strain on their resources and also uh, something that may be difficult to sell that they just don't want to be able want to be able to don't aren't able to manage right and uh, it, it's not the most exciting topic to talk about when an organization has this grand vision of a campaign a new building whatever it is but these are critical questions and I have seen organizations get tripped up because they didn't invest some time and energy in, as you just described, some of these processes and procedures. What are you going to do when you start getting gifts of stock, uh, non-cash gifts, as you said, of property or other things that aren't your traditional cash and checks kind of uh, transactions? And uh, those, of course, are good fundamentals for an organization to have in general, not just in a campaign to suggest that you know they're ready for larger investment, but you're right, they're going to get burned if they don't think about that and then go out on the, the campaign trail. And of course, Cindy, you make the good point that I think a lot of organizations fail to consider the budgetary implications of starting a campaign. Absolutely, Patton. And I think, you know, these readiness things that we talked about are things that will determine what needs to be included in your campaign budget. Uh, Staffing certainly being one of them. Uh, Outside counsel, if that's something that you need. Your planning feasibility study, uh, campaign collateral materials, uh, campaign events. Uh, Are you going to to host some events for donors and prospective donors. And typically you do as a part of a campaign, your donor cultivation and recognition, there will be dollar amounts to those as well as other campaign related costs such as marketing. There will be increased activity and increased cost, and all of those things need to be included into a campaign budget so that you're prepared and you know what you're prepared to be able to do. Absolutely right. And again, that whole fourth key uh, maybe falls in the the fine print, if you will, of a campaign planning manual. But I would absolutely encourage nonprofit leaders to not ignore the fine print in this case, because it's easy to get kind of intoxicated by the the excitement of a campaign and fail in some of these areas, which will come back to haunt you. Uh, it leads to one that you and I have, again, talked about many times. The fifth key in terms of are you ready for a capital campaign? Is your board engaged? And we've touched on this. And you have, in fact, in several points talked about leadership and having conversations. Um, I've, in fact, been part of some disappointing campaign planning efforts of late because the board really was not ready and not engaged. But what do you evaluate, Cindy, when you think about kind of engaging your board as part of a campaign? 
Well, and you said it well already. Their engagement and support is critical to the success of the campaign. You know, from the very beginning, there needs to be a shared vision by the board and the organizational leadership, both for the organization and for its priorities and for the campaign objectives. That has to happen, you know, from the very get-go, so to speak. And, uh, you know, from a leadership perspective, the campaign leadership doesn't have to come from the board, but uh, certainly that's the first place that we, we look and certainly to have some, cam board, some board members involved in campaign leadership is important. They know the organization best and they uh, hopefully share a mission for the organization already. Uh, and they're, frankly, some of the best prospects for campaign leaders, along with other influential people who are involved with the organization. So again, that's a place that we look first for leadership, uh, as I'm sure you have. I've been involved in, in a number of campaign where leadership was primarily from non-board non members, but certainly uh, if you can, to the extent that you can, I like to have board leadership as a part of the campaign leadership as well. The one thing that, that can't uh, be overlooked, Patton, is the importance of board participation in the campaign from a personal giving perspective. Uh, Right. 100% participation is 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 hugely important. And as you said, you know, I was involved in a campaign not that long ago where we didn't have 100% participation from the board. And it does have an impact on the campaign, has a, has an impact, a negative impact on the morale of the campaign leaders when board members are not stepping forward. So it's important that board members be prepared, know that in advance, and be willing and prepared to make a gift that's meaningful to them. You know, know that not every board member can uh, make a leadership gift. I know that every board member is not comfortable asking for large gifts, but it's important that each board member make a gift that's meaningful to them. That's, I think, what we can't can't overlook the importance of. Also, while we're, we're talking on the subject of board patent, I think that capital campaigns may be an opportunity to expand the board and engage some new stakeholders as you're preparing for a capital campaign. It's also an opportunity to revisit some former board members and take advantage of this opportunity to re-engage them. So it's uh, not just it, you know looking at your current board, but how can we expand it as well and, and use the, this campaign as an opportunity to, to strengthen the board as well as to strengthen the development uh, efforts of the organization across the board, things that will will support the organization, not just through the capital campaign, but for the long term as well. When, you know, people who step up during a capital campaign and may make significant gifts, hopefully will remain supporters and friends of the organization for many, many years to come. And campaign's just a good opportunity to focus on, you know, attracting some new people to the organization as well. Such a good point that the take advantage of the heightened awareness a campaign will bring to your organization and not only raise more money, but uh, I love your point of it's a good time to recruit board members. 
it's a good time to elevate your programs. Um, who knows? It may help your recruitment of staff and volunteers. And, and so uh, if you can engage your board as a starting point, but there's a level of engagement that a campaign would allow if indeed that kind of baseline of board support is there. Uh, Cindy, this is a fantastic checklist. In fact, as I look back through it, I think it's important for a nonprofit leader to consider while we know you want, in some cases, the badge of honor of running a campaign, um, I think it's important to stop and think about, you know, again, are you and your team ready? Do you have the capacity and the energy that'll be necessary? Is there a strategic vision consensus amongst your leadership? Can you make the case to the community? I know you think it's important, but does your community think it's important? The fourth one, uh, you outlined very well, Cindy, the infrastructure elements that you need to have in place if you're going to succeed. And then finally, and I think it's appropriate, we stop with uh, the fifth key of board engagement, um, because I think you can have a very uh, engaged staff dynamic, but if the board's not running and giving, it's not likely you're going to succeed. Absolutely, totally agree, Patton. Thank you, Cindy, for this fantastic advice. As I mentioned, that I think a lot of our fundraising friends, nonprofit leaders included, want to kind of manage a campaign as part of um, you know their growth and development as a nonprofit leader. Is there anything else you would add? Because you've had lots of conversations with individuals thinking about nonprofit leadership. Is there a certain key advice you offer someone in that kind of setting? You know, when Patton, at this point, when I'm talking with boards and organizational leadership, I like to remind them that campaigns are actually fun. They're, they can, they're fun and they can be very rewarding. They provide opportunities for involvement of new volunteers and donors that can literally transform the organization. And they are fun and rewarding for the people that are responsible for making them, uh, for doing the things that are needed to make them successful. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to downplay the amount of work and the activity that's required, but I do think that there is certainly a positive side as well, both for you as a leader and for the organization long term. So, uh, organizations, many have been, as I said, transformed through a capital campaign. Great point. And I'm glad you balanced that because you're right. As I was reeling off the, the list, <laughs> there there might have been a le not a fun element that I was uh, lifting up there. So I'm glad that you reminded that a, a well-planned campaign can be transformational and it can be fun. And that's certainly a morale boost for everyone involved in a nonprofit. Uh, so Cindy, thank you for all of that advice uh, on the campaign front. As you know, I ask every guest to share as a parting gift a book that has been meaningful to them on their journey. What book might you recommend to our listeners? You know, Patton, I, I, I struggled as I thought about this question, which I knew that you were going to ask me. And I you know, wanted to think of something that might not be already on our PMA list. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this, but one book that I'm a fan of that's not a new book 
is one that's probably 20 years old called Asking by Gerald Panis. And I always think about that one when I think about capital campaigns or major giving programs of, of any kind. And it's billed as a one hour read that has the guide to everything that board members need to know to secure the gift. I do think you know that it's one that could be beneficial to boards who have not been engaged in fundraising. And I've given it to lots of board members over the years. So over the years, and I, I think it's one that does have a place for boards that have not done capital campaigns and that could be shared with them. But another one that may not be on our list that I wanted to lift up is called How to Live Forever, The Enduring Power of Connecting the Generations. And this book is by Mark Friedman. He spoke at a luncheon a few years back that Southminster hosted, but the book really and the luncheon that day was about bringing generations together for mutual benefit. And I think this applies on an individual level, but more in line with the audience for this podcast, it's also ways that nonprofits in the community can work together for mutual benefit. We all know that funders like uh, partnerships, and I think the the generational uh, working, the different generations working together is a way that we can expand the capacity of our organizations for the benefit of everybody, mutual benefit. Uh, so I'll lift that one up that I I found to be uh, fascinating, honestly, with the, the the need on both ends of the generation, both children and older adults who need a place and who need that connection and uh, enjoyed that book and think it's worth including on our list as well, Patton. Love that. Delighted to add it to our reading list and our perspective reading list for those who have not yet experienced Mark Friedman's book, How to Live Forever. Uh, Cindy, thank you. Uh, another wonderful addition to uh, a conversation that brings lots of good advice and food for thought for nonprofit leaders. So thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you, Patton. And thanks for the good work that you're doing, continue to do in our community. I'm grateful for the leadership that you're providing for all of us. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Cindy as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can help you understand the key elements of a capital campaign and better understand if you're ready. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about Cindy, her resources that she suggests, our colleagues here at PMA Consulting, and much more for this episode and on the firm in general. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page again at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of these weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.